What up everyone, this is the Twice Over Film Club and I'm your host Faraz. Today we have our full episode on A Prophet. Hopefully you have listened to our preview episode and have seen the movie because this full episode does contain spoilers. Check out the twiceover.com to see all the movies we have reviewed and how their tallies stack up in all the different variations. For example, A Prophet can be anywhere between a 77 or 86. So no doubt it's a good movie, but for you, depending on your taste, it might be a great movie. Also, follow us on all the socials. That's where we make sure to keep you updated on what's on our watch list, and it's the easiest way to interact with us, so if you have any feedback or have any movie suggestions for us, just hit us up. Alright, so here's the episode with myself, Yusuf, and Fahad. Yeah, Yusuf, is this your first time watching it? This is my first time watching it. Ooh-wee. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Um... I want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Why you recommended it? I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just admit to ignorance here. That I feel like I'm missing a lot, and I just like wasn't getting it. But like, just uh-huh. from a, just from like a 10 second Google, you can see like how many people are like ecstatic about this movie. So like, there, I just, I need to hear more. Like I want. So it's interesting, it'll be interesting. Really? Okay. Yeah. Wait, what yeah, do you yeah, mean yeah. by that? A 10 second Google? Yeah. I, I, like... I, I just, I just looked at reviews, and it's like, I oh, mean. Okay. Ebert gave it four stars. Every every major place gave it a good rating. Even like Rotten Tomatoes, it has like an eighty nine audience score. So it's not just like critics. You know, it's it's just I I didn't see really much bad about it. So gotcha. Yeah, it's like not not that I disliked it. It's just like that that is some high praise coming uniformly. So right. Okay. Um. Well, Yusuf, I'll say this. I liked it like a hundred times more this time around. Like it went from me thinking me thinking it was a good movie to like right now uh-huh. thinking it was like masterful. Like I loved it. So maybe you nice. need a second watch like in nine years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll let you guys know in uh in two thousand twenty nine if okay. uh if the world is still around at this rate. But you know, um yeah, I think maybe a second watch would help. Did but. you appreciate it for like the gangster movie that it was, you know, similar to like Godfather or Goodfellas? I think so. It's like almost a mashup of like a Goodfellas type movie and um, Shawshank. There, uh-huh. I felt like mm-hmm. there's like some Shawshank influence coming. Oh, in for here. sure, for but sure. But it, it's it's neither that story. It's neither story, right? It's neither the Goodfellas story. It's not the Shawshank story quite. Uh, because but, it's not. It doesn't. It's not sentimental at all, like Shawshank. Right. Exactly. Um, there, there's no sentimentality, and there's no. Um, I, the the main character is just so different from, uh, from Dufresne, right? So there's there's just there's a lot of uh, different treatment that you get to experience. But I, I felt like just in terms of the tone and everything, there's kind of elements of both. Mm. All right. Yeah, so obviously, we are talking about a Prophet 2009 film. This is a foreign language film. I guess it's French slash Arabic. Um, it's a French production, though, directed by Jacques Audiard. Man, I wish I could do a French accent. Jacques Audiard. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> no, that was the, that was it's the Jacques. It's definitely yeah. Jacques. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Jacques. The, okay. the, the S is we can we can say pretty safely is is not pronounced. <laughs> okay, there we go. Raz, you got it right. Jacques Audiard. All right, we'll go with that. It's directed yeah. by him. Um, also, 2009, yeah, I, I didn't realize it was as old as it was. I don't know why I thought it was a good, more recent film. The movie is about mm-hmm. a very young uh, 19-year-old Arab man who is sentenced to prison uh, for six years. 
I'm not sure where in France. Is it somewhere in Paris, I think? I assumed it was Paris. Yeah, I'm assuming one of the majors, near one of the major cities, right? It feels very urban. Yeah, and he's he's more or less a... Uh, he's alone, this this 19-year-old man. His, his name is uh, Malik. He has no one really outside in the normal world. He doesn't know anyone in prison. He's kind of like... Uh, he's just on his own and basically we're gonna we're gonna live through his experience in prison and how he gets by Mm -hmm. so with him being such a young character this movie almost is a kind of a coming of age story agree disagree (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it qualifies actually. Um, yeah. as, right? It's it's not it's not what you typically want to see in a coming of age movie, or it's just not what you expect to see. Yeah, uh, because of you know it, this is obviously just the subject matter is going to be much darker. Um, but 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 it is right. It, it mm-hmm. is a coming of age story, and it is, and yeah. it's you know you can't you can't deny that there are plenty of people young. Uh, you know, young adults in their teens that this is how they grow up and this is how they get initiated into adulthood, right? It's not the prettiest thing. It's not the, it's not the, you know, graduating from high school one last summer uh, to, you know, capture our dreams. Yeah. Well, I would say coming of age is usually, you know, uh, the innocence of a person being uh, snatched away from them. And usually it's, you know, not in circumstances like this where the innocence is being snatched away in prison. Um, or I'd put it this way. Most coming-of-age stories, they're very optimistic and happy and whatnot. This is just, like, bleak, right? Yeah, I mean, you can see straight... Like, if you're just drawing parallels, it's like there always mm-hmm. is kind of this, like, you know, the, the like, these horrible, you know... There are these like outcomes that are, you know, looming on the horizon that you're afraid of or are that, you know, that are terrifying. But like, Mm -hmm. you know, the context or the the magnitude of those is always like, oh, I'm going to go off to college. Me and my girlfriend are getting along or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. The the stakes are low, right? Right. I'm being mean. But yeah, it's like it's like the yeah, the stakes are very low. (laughs) Um, This is like the same thing. I mean, you know, there are the same elements at play, but the stakes are just much higher. And so, I mean. I guess I just I feel kind of like I'm very emphatic about the the fact that this should qualify as a coming of age movie. Like it just it has to because like it really it just is that story for a for a population that probably doesn't doesn't. um, I mean, this story gets told, but kind of the way this is told as a, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, in that same vein as a coming of age story. I kind of like that that uh, that look at it. So you guys know I love coming of age stuff. Um, that's and it will be reflected in my score. <laughs> okay, so let's let's go on to our scores. We'll start with the narrative category. I'm gonna give this a ninety. I give it a ninety-five. Ninety. All right, so oh. we all actually really like the narrative here. I mean, how how did you guys weigh the direction? Uh, like the direction was excellent. So I want to get into the story a little bit, right? Is it? Is a story completely unique? No. Is a is a genre defining the story? No. Right. But oh, it's yeah. so well observed. Everything with the camera work and observing like prison life. I don't know. It's like a master class in like how we get to experience what Malik is going through. I think I think there's there's like really good uh, insight into what he's internally feeling and they they do a good job the direction does a good job of making sure that's maintained on the screen in a lot mm-hmm. of different ways um story wise i feel like 
I feel like it kept me on my toes. I mean, you know, like I said, because they borrow from several different genres and it's kind of a mashup, I never really was... I never really was satisfied that I knew where it was going. And I think in the end, I, I really didn't. So um, I was I was intrigued the entire way through for that reason. So, yeah, for me, the direction, like Fahad said, the story, it's not all that different from what you might expect from other prison type movies or crime related movies. But the direction is what made it really unique in terms of the presentation of the story. I thought was, I, I don't know another movie that presents it in such a gritty manner. And it's, yeah. it, it says it really brought that score up because, again, the story is the story. It is engaging, um, but there's not too much substance to it, really. It's really the direction that like amplifies. Yeah, there's quite a bit of scenes where there's so much suspense built up. Right. And it's relieved by like these scenes of violence. And then there's other scenes where it slows down and it turns into almost of a character story uh, study where it's like observing Malik's character like. um being turmoiled in um in prison um the pacing is great um there's never a dull moment i will say there i i personally wrote down that i, I thought there was a 15 minute segment towards the middle where i thought it was a little dragged out um okay but i mean it, it is a kind of long movie right it's like two and a half hours it is yeah, yeah it's yeah. kind of long I, I i did think that there was a little moment where the story kind of was dragging to me okay. I, I think i feel i feel like I agree with you. I probably would go even further than you and say that there, I think there's a lot that they can maybe cut out. And and I will I will pause and I'll say like maybe that's because I'm not seeing the threads coming together right now. And I would on a second viewing or if I just you know have time to to process it more uh, because mm-hmm. there are elements that I feel like were introduced and then they didn't really do much with them. Um, and it's kind of um, you know, it's it's Chekhov's gun, right? If they're going to introduce elements, they should do something with those elements. Um, otherwise, they feel a little bit wasted in terms of mm. the time spent exploring them and then not going, you know, not bringing them to completion. Are you are you referring to certain observations? Um, or is it more so like something that could like be a plot, plot point? Points? Yeah. That yeah. doesn't okay. Yeah, I think more so plot points. I, I'm okay. sure there are observations as well, but uh, but I'm typically I'm generally okay with that in movies uh, when there's kind of you know there, there's kind of additional context put in through the dialogue and 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 other stuff, right? Gotcha. I, I'm okay with that, but plot points that don't really tie in anywhere that always feels like a little bit wasted to me. And I mean, w- would you guys agree with that or disagree with that? I mean, in 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 a general sense, not specific to this movie, but do kind of loose plot points bother you? Oh, they bother me, but I didn't. I didn't see any with this one. Maybe yeah, later same. in the discussion we can get into specifics. Yeah, I, yeah, like I said, maybe I'm just missing part of it here, and I'm I'm totally willing to own up to that if I am. So, uh, and I, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm giving it a ninety. So this yeah. is me kind of telling you what I didn't like out of something that I really pretty much did like. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to the writing score here. I give it a seventy-five. I gave it an eighty-five. Eighty. Okay, so we're in a ten-score span. Um, this is again, I just want to put the disclaimer that, you know, I put on pretty much every foreign film that we watch like this. Exactly. Yeah. Bringing the, bringing the proper, you know, tone and, and, and context into the, the dialogue is very, very difficult with subtitles. So Mm -hmm. we're kind of at the mercy of whoever, you know, produces the subtitles in order to do that for us. And, and a lot of it probably gets lost. And, um, 
as an additional layer, this movie has at least three different languages yeah. that they speak in throughout this movie. Yeah. So that only, you know, amps up the difficulty that much more. So, you know, this movie might have been a hundred and we just we just didn't get it. Also, <laughs> it could have been a sixty and we got the benefit of some really good subtitles. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. that's why I have to I, agree with that. Exactly, yeah. That's why I give it a seventy five. I thought it had to have been had to have been definitely a little better than average, but since I couldn't appreciate all of it myself i went around to 75 kept it close to average did you guys appreciate the little bits of comedy throughout the writing yeah Yeah. i mean there was some much needed comic relief (laughs) yeah even though it was very brief when it happened (laughs) yeah and i i felt like they did a good job of you know from my perspective at least maintaining kind of the tone of the dialogue that there was uh-huh. there was there was just certain moments that i felt were a little bit more jovial and like they made sure mm-hmm. like just in the way that they they it wasn't like just like you know it wasn't just straight translation in the subtitles like they did kind of work some some you Finesse know into it right yeah some emotion into it so like i just remember there was there was a moment and i'll, I'll mention this because it doesn't really mean anything but you know he's trying to learn how to how to speak in french and so he's kind of conjugating the different words and then like you know like basically somebody tells him to repeat after them or translate <laughs> yeah. something that's like in like a a very you know a very hoity-toity fancy kind like of grammatically way of correct <laughs> yeah he's like would it were you that you did and he was like people actually say that and the response he gets from from you know the Riyadh the guy he's talking to is he's at least in the subtitles he says it's wild I know I never did say that but but they do they really do say it and like it just it really felt like you know they were you could feel the connection they were kind of making on an emotional level through the the exact word choices that were chosen again that's the subtitles I don't know what the actual line was in the native language but you know assuming that it was carried over properly. Like I, I, I think that you do get a lot of that, um, you know, that depth into the into the dialogue. So, uh, you know, we're we're viewing this through kind of a, an indirect means because we don't we don't speak French and we don't speak mm-hmm. uh, Arabic and or Corsican, right? But, but um, I do think that the depth was there in the dialogue from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, let's move on to the acting. Here, I give it an eighty-five. I give it a ninety. Seventy-five for me. Ooh. Uh, I thought Lowest score amongst us. <laughs> I thought the actor playing Malik uh, Daher Rahim was mm-hmm. was amazing. Uh, I also thought the guy playing Riyadh what was that um, Adil Ben Sharif. Uh-huh. These guys played the part really well, and with and, and specifically ta- to Tahir Rahim, he really <laughs> reminded me of Robert De Niro from Godfather Part Two. Oh, the young okay. De Niro. He was copying his mannerisms in every way with the mustache, the way he would touch his face. I was like, dude, this guy probably watched that movie a million times to prepare for this role. Not Taxi Driver, because there were overall similarities between the two movies, but that one. All right. Yeah, Godfather Part Two specifically, only because, again, it also fits the genre in a, in a way. Yeah. All right. I see it. I mean, I think maybe... I'm not. I'm not low. I'm above average, but I'm the. I'm certainly the lowest. Um. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't actually love Tahar Rahim. Uh, Rahim. That's the name. Tahar Rahim. Right. I, yeah. I didn't certainly. I didn't necessarily love his performance. I don't think he heard it. I actually did really like uh, the performance by uh, Adil Ben Sharif. Right. Uh, for Riyadh. Um. Also, um. The character that uh, the actor that played. Uh, Cesar Luciani, yeah, yeah. Uh, Niels yeah. Arstrup. I thought his performance was really good as well. Um, but they weren't the main characters, so I mean, I, I I did enjoy it, but I kind of I don't know. I guess I didn't feel like I got that much depth out of the acting. 
um, as much as from from the dialogue and a lot of the the cinematic choices. I, I didn't not that I and we'll talk about the cinematic choices, but I think I think there was a lot of emphasis in making sure you knew what was going on in his head. But I just didn't feel like it was coming from his acting necessarily as it was, uh, you know, the director's heavy hand, which I thought was well, well used. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, just trying to look at where I'm getting the perspective from. I thought it was coming mostly from elsewhere as far as uh, I what see. I really enjoyed about it. You know what? I kind of agree. His um, Thahir Rahim's performance is a little bit enigmatic, right? Um, he's kind of holding back. It, I think the reason why the director went with this choice and the car- uh, actor did as well, it's supposed to be, he's supposed to be like an empty canvas for us to like put our own emotions into, right? So at times when I was thinking, what is this guy thinking? Um, what are his motivations? I was, it, it, it engaged me more because I didn't know exactly what he was, what was going on with this guy. Yeah. He's yeah. a little mysterious. Right. And I mean, his he the character it's himself is as well because he has no real past either. Yeah, we don't mm-hmm. get to find out much about that, right? And it's he's kind of just very shy. And again, it's somebody who is at least to a degree finding themselves for the first time, right? Um, mm-hmm. Coming of age. <laughs> so, um, so, so yeah, maybe there there is kind of a lot held back because a lot of it is is restrained. Like he's he's just a person that that doesn't. That doesn't know or doesn't understand his, you know, his emotions. He's not. He's he hasn't figured out who he is to a great degree. So yeah, there's a lot of that. That that is like it's like he's processing it in the moment. So you know, he just he doesn't have a lot to say or he doesn't have strong emotions to a lot of things outside of a few moments. Um, yeah, I guess I guess I kind of like that interpretation on it. All right, we're gonna move on to the themes now. Here I give it a seventy. I give it an eighty. Eighty for me as well. So yeah, this movie is pretty minimal on themes, right? It's mostly about the story. Um, the reason I gave it a little bit of an average above average score was it involves some, uh, themes with the coming of age, uh, story, and then a little bit of existentialist thought, um, that we can get into later in the discussion. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this is something, this is another one that I feel like that score may go up more and more, the more I think about it, uh, it's not your typical coming of age story, obviously, but it's also not the typical coming of age story thematically speaking um i think there is some some really interesting context there that you know we we'll we'll dive into later but i do think that they kind of have a different take on on what it what that what that entails so um i liked it from that standpoint um and uh, you know maybe maybe the more i might think about it i'll even go higher but yeah as far as coming of age that's clearly a theme the way i identified it is by uh naming it identity like self-identity Mm-hmm. conflict obviously is going to be a theme here as well um but yeah we'll get deeper into it but i give it a pure average score only because it's not at the forefront of the movie it's mm-hmm. not uh it's not unique it's not different from which it's not different from what other movies of the same genre might present in terms of thematic elements yeah agreed. I, I disagree a little bit but you know okay. fair enough <laughs> we'll talk all right last category let's talk about aesthetics here i give it a 90 I give it an 85. Uh, hey, guys, I give it a 50. Oh, what? <laughs> you yeah, hate felt, right. So we're the same it. group. We're the same group that did Lighthouse, right? And yeah. I shitted on the aspect <laughs> ratio. This movie is a perfect example of how you can do confinement, claustrophobia without ruining an aspect ratio and keeping it wide, wide yeah. screen. Yeah, okay. for sure. 
perhaps, but but that's I not the only reason I went so high. But go ahead. I, yeah, you just you saw the aspect ratio was good, and you're like done, done with my aesthetic score. <laughs> uh, no, I mean I, I would say just while that may be true. It certainly doesn't deliver the amount of claustrophobia that the lighthouse did, um, in my opinion, at least. Um, I, I I don't know that I, I I appreciated a lot about the aesthetics. I thought, um, you know, without without going into it too much, I think I I felt like I felt like there was a lot of different uncon uh, disconnected choices being made aesthetically speaking. Um, so like a lot of different moments had totally different aesthetic choices, and I didn't really get that there was a strong reason for them to do that. So then it felt disconnected. Um, and then, and then secondly, I, I thought that the, the, the music choices were, were really strange. Um, okay. not even that I disliked all of the music choices, just like that. I just didn't think they made a lot of sense in terms of um, like fit, right? Yeah. In terms of fit. Exactly. Um, and for example, I'll tell you, um, the Faraz, you'll know more th better than I do. What's that Nas song that they use that kind of has the blues? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's his, that's Nas and his dad. <laughs> I love that song. I, I really do love that song. I just didn't think it made any sense in that moment. Um, and then there, there's a couple other choices like that. Like there's just a, some folksy music that comes out of nowhere and then some other things. So uh, again, maybe I'm missing something, but I thought that was really distracting. Um, even if I liked the music, I just didn't get why. So I wasn't pay paying attention to the lyrics of the rap music, but I think the way it was used, it was used to like hide in the, the experience that Malik was feeling, right? He's, it was used when he was on the rise. Um, when he's getting his business growing, his hustling or whatever. And that's when it was used. To me, it was jarring too because um, the choice in language, right? It's it's an English rap song and we're being taken out of, you know. A lot of English music, yeah. in fact, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, so the only reason I didn't give this 100 is probably the choice of music or sound in general. Didn't I didn't have anything special about it. You didn't like I thought the, the visuals. Yeah. I didn't really, I didn't, I don't remember anything specific about it, to be honest. But visually, I thought this movie was incredible. I thought the creative choices used by the director were great. Um, really, you know, uncomfortable shots, very disorienting shots, a lot of handheld camera work. Mm -hmm. um, even like the random use of slow motion. I just, I just appreciated a lot of it. I, I thought it was. Uh, and then those scenes where it's like, most of the frame is like vignetted. It's dark, and then you see a small um, perspective. Yeah, it's like right? a spotlight. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's like hiding our focus, and it's like telling us, um, like this is the only thing he this character is able to see. Yeah, I I thought there was a lot a lot to uh, appreciate for for the visuals here. I mean, in terms of like, it gets graphic at sometimes, and it almost wants you to look away. But other times, there's uh. There's so, okay. There's very specific scenes that we can talk about after the jump where you all you want to know is like the context of the setting, but he, the director has chosen to cut off so much of the setting and only show you one like angle and so zoomed in. Mm -hmm. But all you're concerned about is what's actually off screen, and there's some very tense moments like that. Yeah, it's yeah. an interesting thought. I mean. So to me, I guess like you guys are listing off a lot of a lot of different things that they were able to work with and that they were able to use in this movie, aesthetically speaking. 
I think I just want to see more reason behind it. So like I, I noticed all this stuff, but I just I was like, okay, they're doing a lot, but why are they doing a lot, or why are they doing things um, this way? Um, so maybe that's why my score is a little bit lower. I, again, I, I'll be happy to be talked out of it though. So um, that is that is certainly something that that um, I want to dive into further. What do you think of the camera work? Um, because at times it's like moving independently of Malik, and it's yeah. it's like um, it's handheld and it's it's got like this voyeuristic eye and what I mean by that, it's like, it's just like observing, you know, it's observing, but in a disoriented way is like how I, how I, how uh, you put it. Okay. Yeah. Basically that's how I even like was internalizing it. It's like, I'm not supposed to totally be focused here. Like it's like, there's something else that's taking your attention away that needs to, needs your attention as well. Mm. It's, it's, it's tricky. <laughs> I thought it was very well done. There were moments where it's almost like um, it feels like it's another prisoner in the room, the camera that is, right? Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, yeah it's moving, it's moving of its own volition, and it's kind of just it's in the moment, it's in one of these rooms with these with these other prisoners. Um, so uh, yeah, I think I appreciated at least uh, some components of it. Um, maybe I was a little bit harsh, but oh well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as far as our overall tallies go, Fahad really likes this movie. His comes out to an 86, mine to an 82. Yusuf still likes it quite a bit. It's at 79. Um, our clear winner in terms of the uh, which element was highest rated by us is the narrative. Uh, then comes our acting. And then, I mean, other, other than the narrative, really, we're kind of middle of the road average slightly above average only like the narrative and the story and direction we thought was great i mean but we're we're consistently above average on everything too i think we're all within five or ten on pretty much everything um mm -hmm. other than aesthetics so yeah like I, i'm looking at my scores and like i'm high on everything about this movie other than aesthetics maybe not as yeah. high as you guys but like and like i said maybe i'm just like missing some context there but really like i think i think even for a first watch, like it was, it was very engaging. Um, I, for a, for a movie that long, I, I'm surprised I wasn't, you know, I wasn't more bored. Even if I thought that there was some some things that they could have done without, you really don't lose your attention, you know, from start to finish. That jump. Did you guys like the, like the the title see things that come up where it's like the transitions and then like words pop up? It's like eyes and yeah, ears. The chapters, I guess. No. What? I I didn't really um understand the purpose of that i don't yeah, know i guess it's just like neatly wrapped up like a chunk of the movie it's like eyes and ears okay well he's learning or it's like uh ikra and it's like okay he's learning or something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah that, exactly like I, it's not like it's not like they were all like okay some of some them made were like, sense some yeah, didn't some yeah. of them were like okay he met this character and this character is significant so then like there's like a whole yeah. chunk of the movie that's him interacting with this character other times it, yeah it was just like um hey it's christmas and it's like christmas for like five minutes and then that's it <laughs> so why did they put that on there yeah. like yeah. so it, it was just kind of interesting like when they chose to do that that might be like a french thing the big block letters on screen that kind of pop up out of nowhere and then disappear very quickly as well uh, uh -huh. for us uh and and Fahad, you've seen this movie too, I think, right? Incendies, they do the same thing, and mm -hmm. that was that's a French Canadian film, but you know it's clearly borrowing from the same space. Oh, that's another okay. movie that takes place in. Um, but in it, that it, movie, it, it was much more like defined chapters, I thought. Yeah, and but those exactly. So I think there's kind of that's just kind of a that's kind of a tool that's like you know much more common in that uh, in that cinematic world, right? So they just kind of. 
they use it here. Maybe they don't use it the best here, but it's just it's more common than than it is for American movies. So like it's not a it's not surprising that they tried to use that here, even if it like was a little bit um, less consistent. Mm. And also, since it is a longer movie, I think maybe subconsciously it just helps break uh, it up, right? Yeah, it helps the pacing in a way. Yeah. Does it really pace it though when it's just like, hey, it's Christmas? <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> it, it gives you like that, some that context sta- of that time, right? Yeah, I was going to say, it tells you that time has passed. Right. Because <laughs> there's only like one or one or two other moments where they actually like indicate passage of time. I, I liked the other ways they did it a lot better than that, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you're Fair right. Enough. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that, maybe that is kind of the. Nah, actually, I disagree. I don't think that was the purpose of saying it's Christmas. <laughs> and I, I'm picking on that one because I thought that one was particularly absurd. But I think the first title card or whatever you want to call it, it comes where uh, Riyab, Riyab reappears to him in his dream. They're wrestling. Oh, Riyab. And then Rayab. he uh, wishes him happy birthday or one yeah, year. To say or, that one year has passed, yeah. Yeah, it's either his birthday or one year has passed. Maybe both. It's, it's congratulations it's, on one year. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so in my head... I. And I, I don't know which one it is. But yeah, your, your first instinct is to say, oh, it's the birthday, right? Because he even sings happy birthday to him in Arabic, right? But it's it's a much darker thing. He's It's a one-year anniversary of perhaps him getting to the jail or perhaps one year since he killed Rayab. I'm not sure. Um, and those Ooh, two things, those two, those two events would be... Those two events would be the second one's a lot darker, right? <laughs> but yeah. um, those two events would be so close to each other in time, anyways. But that was kind of the moment where his life kind of snapped, right? He had to decide, like, this is who I am now. Only way I'm going to survive is if I do what they told me to do. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of like, congratulations, this is who you became. Uh, happy one year, you know? Uh, so that felt really dark to me. I really enjoyed that moment. Um, and I really enjoyed the scenes with Rayab generally, the way he showed up and the way he's just kind of haunting him the entire movie. Yeah, I definitely love that aspect of it. It's like a little bit of magical realism, right? Yeah, so, okay, I w- let's let's kind of talk about the story here. So, like we mentioned, he's a loner, more or less, Malik is. And when he gets into prison, he doesn't have anyone, inside or out. So, the cor- is Corsican? Is that how I say it? Sure, I think that sounds yeah, right. Yeah, Corsican or anything weird like that, right? I don't think <laughs> no, so, no. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's a region of France, yeah, right? Yeah, it's the island south of France. I know. Yeah, and for some context... Um, it is the region, uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, I certainly didn't, but I kind of figured it out as it was going. Um, Corsica is a region that is, uh, they're a little bit separate from France. I mean, they've been they've been controlled by France for quite a while, but they've maintained like a strong, strong Italian culture, right? Yeah, um, I think they're ethnically different, right? Culture, culture-wise, language is different, um, values are different, right? Everything like yeah. that. And so this this leads to the the issue where you know a guy like Malik who is, uh, you know, a descendant um, of, of Arabic descent, right? But he he is from Corsica, right? Neither claim him, right? The 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 Arabs see him as a Corsican, and the Corsicans see him as an Arab. Um, and, and wait, so is he from Corsica? I thought so because they refer to him as the Corsican, but maybe that's just because that's, he works for them. Yeah, the I, association. I don't know just works for them. I think he's just a Arab in in Paris. Yeah. So where? Oh, you think he's from Paris then? Yeah, he's just a French Arab. Okay, I kind of interpreted it that he he's probably got some background from there because he seems, uh, 
even at the beginning, he seems like um, he has some commonality with them. But I mean, maybe that was in my head. But, but the point is basically that he just he ends up in a position where, you know, he belongs in neither place anymore. Right. Um, yeah. And he he isn't given much of a choice. So right away, like you mentioned, uh, Rayab's murder. Right. It's not much of a choice by him. The Corsican maf- mafia, basically, they, they come up to him and say, there's this person that you need to kill for us. Now that you know this, you have to do it. If you don't do it, we kill you. So he, his hands are tied. He has to do it basically to save his own life. And he, he does uh, kill Raya very brutally, probably one of the most brutal scenes in like cinema I've seen. They they don't like hold anything back here. They just no, show you everything. they torture you with uh, yeah, having to witness it, that scene. They make you feel guilty being in that same room. Um, yeah, for sure. But building up to that murder, right? There's moments where uh, Malik is trying to get out of this murder, right? He he kicks a dude to get sent to solitary, kind of a smart yeah. action. But then uh, the Corsicans. The leader, uh, he's like, Cesar. yeah, he knows what he's up to. He's like, you think you could get out of this just by getting sent to solitary? And he beats him up. And then there's there's also that, that moment where Malik tries to confide in the warden, right, to get it to him. But then the Corsicans intercept him once the, again, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, with the bag. With the bag, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's uh, so clearly Malik doesn't want to carry out the murder. I mean, why would he? It's it's not. It sounds like he's in prison for like some assault against some police officers, which and he denies. The only reason he has a six year sentence is because they at least they infer that he's you know had multiple um, run ins with the law, right? Yeah, multiple run ins like, priors. So basically, he's at that point where any next you know, crime will get him significant time, which is the situation he's in. And he even says it like, you know, muttering to himself, like, I can't kill a person, like I can't kill a man. Mm-hmm. Um and the and the choice of weapon and and how they want to want him to kill him is uh like with the razor blade in the mouth, uh take it out and like s- slice his uh jugular mm-hmm. while pretending or in seducing Go him, on. yeah, I was gonna say seducing get it him out. <laughs> to uh, give him a blowjob because Rayab is. I'm basically Rayab says, "I'll give you hash if you if you suck me off," and <laughs> obviously Malik does not want to do that. But since he has no choice, like that's his in to get close to Rayab and to to basically do the murder. Continue, continue walking us through the plot. I kind of want want to get that out there. Um, that's obviously kind of the, the big centerpiece moment. And I think maybe I enjoyed the movie from there on out, like even more. So and, and I actually paused the movie. This happened like in the first 20 minutes, like the whole sequence of him getting recruited to do the murder and to, uh, commit the murder. Like it happened very fast. So like, we, like you were mentioning, Yusuf, the engagement level is like off the charts for a long movie because like, yeah. it, it gets you really early and then you stay engaged throughout. Um, all right, so what happens after? Basically, the Corsicans, they, they do take him in as protection. So the prison is broken up into two segments. You got the Arabs and Muslims, and then you have the Corsicans. And um, again, the Arabs, he doesn't know any of them, even though he himself is Arab. Um, and he he isn't like a religious Muslim or anything like that. So he's not he doesn't go naturally towards the Arabs in prison. He's just on his own. That's why the Corsican uh, mob like approached him in the first place. And then since he does carry out the murder, the Corsican's like, all right, cool. We're going to uh, have you under our protection. But basically he is at their service. He does whatever the Corsican 
um, Mafia is telling him to do in prison. And they remind him of that pretty regularly, right? So, I mean, he's he's pretty much their lap dog. He's not, it's nothing glorious. You know, he cleans up after them. And, that's and they, about it. De- they mention like derogatory Arab like slurs against him all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To remind him like, hey, you're not a Corsican, you're, you're Arab. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's constantly being reminded that he's not one of them. And it, I think that triggers like an identity crisis with him, right? Okay, so you mentioned that who who mentioned that the the Riyab, uh, hallucinations, I guess, is what I would call them mm-hmm. that he was having, yeah. Malik was having. I actually really appreciated those scenes as well. I thought that was moments where we kind of saw. I mean, initially he's frightened. I think the first like vision he has is like him fighting in bed with him, like, um, and and then going forward though he's almost finding comfort in in mm-hmm. him like yeah like having someone there with him yeah, he's and, almost like a confidant right and he's, yeah exactly and he's, he's he's confiding confiding in him um and he, especially when he's like in solitary he's actually like asking for him like are you here <laughs> yeah and i think that at that moment he disappears when he's finally in solitary i think because at that point he's his own man so basically he's he's doing he's learning the trade of the prison right by serving the corsicans and in doing so, he also joins classes, learns to... He's functional, functionally illiterate. He can't uh, actually read or write. I mean, he can write his name. But um, he joins classes, learns to read and write. There he meets a friend, Riyadh, who actually becomes a very close friend of his. And through Riyadh, he actually ends up... Uh, he gets an opening to the other Muslims and the Arabs in prison as well. So at this point, Malik has both camps of the prison... Or he has an in under both camps, and he kind of has some protection from both ends as well, due to his friend Riyadh, and then due to Cesar and the and the Corsicans. In this position that he's in, which is a very unique position, he's able to understand the workings of prison in and out from both segments, and he basically starts taking advantage of it for his own personal gain, right? Um, now, I'm not entirely sure exactly what happens next. Well, Riyadh gets out of prison, right? He gets out of prison because he has testicular cancer. Right. And that's his... Now, Riyadh becomes his uh, Outs- window to the outside world. Right. And, and two, his- two things kind of happen simultaneously, uh, more or less. One is one is that, right? Riyadh is uh, outside and can help him from, from the outside. Um, the second is that a bunch of the Corsicans get released from prison or transferred to a Corsican prison, which was like a political move that was made. But uh, Cesar gets left behind because, you know, for reasons we don't really know, but his crimes were... He's like more high-level crime, pretty much. Exactly, yeah. So the charges against him were were of a degree that he didn't get that, um, you know, that mercy that the others did. So he's stuck here and he's only got a few of his... Um, you know, of his men with him. And, and in that role, Malik is kind of able to, to, to swoop in and kind of play yeah. a larger role for him, even though he, you know, he's still kind of degraded and he, he you know, it's clear that uh, the, the Corsicans kind of resent him, but, but he is able because he's kind of picked up how to speak some Corsican, you know, he gets to be kind of this confidant to Cesar as well. Yeah. And then he has this other friend too in prison who is the, the drug dealer, the one who provides the hash and I think even even cocaine or is it uh, heroin meth? I'm not sure or heroin. Yeah. Um, so through this connection, like he has the drug connection, he has the mafia connection with the Corsicans, and then he has a connection uh, to all the Muslim gangs through the Muslims 
or the Arab gangs, maybe I should say. Through that, he's able to build a business enterprise by hustling drugs, both outside of prison and into prison. Um, not just drugs, but I think like all kinds of, I don't know, paraphernalia that you can't bring into prison, he's able to bring in. Um, and in doing so, obviously, his reliance on Cesar becomes less and less. And we kind of reach this climax of the story where he has an end to one of the bigger Arab gangs, gang leaders outside through through Cesar, because Cesar actually wants to make like a peace deal with him so they could work together in terms of business. But basically, Malik goes directly to him and says, I'll work with you and, you know, we can leave Cesar behind. And he kind of does this on the other side with uh, another Muslim gang or like Latif, the Egyptian. He does it with him as well. And um, he's able to basically shore up his enterprise there's so there's so many plot points, right? Uh, well, I mean, let's let's just yeah, let's just wrap up the story kind of in, in a couple of sentences, and then we'll I think we'll right, yeah. So once his enterprise is shored up, like Riaz, unfortunately, his cancer comes back. He he stops doing chemotherapy because he says it's useless at this point. He asks, who um, are he doesn't really ask. He basically says, Malik, you're gonna be the caretaker of my wife and son, and the Godfather. Malik is at the yeah, he's the Godfather, which you know, obviously ties into <laughs> ties into the theme of the movie, kind of. Um, and Malik has been, he, he's owning the prison, like inside and out, like the guards and everything. And he when he is released, he basically walks out of prison, goes, he sees his entire enterprise waiting for him. You know, all the drug dealers, the gangs, they're all waiting for him in like these fancy, luxurious cars. And then there's uh, Riyadh's widowed wife and his uh, young son, he decides to just go with them and start walking, and the and the film ends there. And he uh, he motions to his caravan behind him to like he waves them off. He's like, "I'm not interested in that. I'm just gonna. I'm a family man now." He's like straddling the line. <laughs> I'm not sure about no, that. No, no. I'm not sure. If it, he's not, I'm not interested. No, in the... it's not. It's not that. It's like he's straddling both worlds, right? He can oh, yeah, be both. Yeah, yeah. It's just like he wants to be with her in this moment. So as as I just mentioned, kind of ends on a good or happy note for Malik. Like he ends up successful. Now, what did you guys think of that? Like, it all stems from the murder that he commits. Uh, that when he kills Rayab is when this all like starts, right? It for a protagonist who just who commits a horrible crime, in in a very brutal way, and again, like like we said, a very uh, graphic nature and how they showed it was also just you know grotesque. How how did you feel about because we do end up kind of rooting for him, right? right? We want him to we want him to be successful, we want him to win, despite what we saw him do at the very beginning. Right. He's he's like almost the perfect anti hero, right? How'd you guys feel about Breaking Bad? I d I don't know, it's a little bit of a segue, but um Breaking Bad's lead character. Other anti heroes, are you able to root for him? Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think I think everything that you build around an antihero can generally, you know, it, it obviously leads you to root for them, uh, for without a doubt. Uh, mentally, I was rooting for Walter White in Breaking Bad, but I think he is more clearly a you know an evil person in the end um, than Malik here because um, there there's just a clear difference between a guy who does something like that out of 
pure necessity for pure survival, um, you know, fully not believing he can even pull it off and then is haunted by that memory for the next how many ever years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So mm-hmm. although he he morphs into a totally different person, um, it, you know, it's, it's obviously the environment that does that to him, not something of his own accord. So I think from that standpoint, I found it much easier to, to root for him and, you know, in this movie than than other antiheroes, I guess. Yeah. And on top of that, like there's moments where Malik is very endearing. It's like when it's in that airplane scene where he's like looking out the window like an excited kid on his first <laughs> flight. Like yeah. that one, um, his first moment outside of prison, it's like he's elated to be outside prison. He's like observing everything. Um, and then there's also that moment where he's back in prison after having visited the beach and he pours out that sand and he, he's kind of like reflecting on the memory of having spent a day on the beach, right? It's like those moments. And just like, he, he seems like a genuinely nice guy to people who are nice to him. Yeah. So like when Riyadh gets kidnapped by Latif, the Egyptian, uh, he, he doesn't hesitate to say, you know, forget the cash, forget the dope, you know, let's get Riyadh back, you know, just let that other stuff go. He, he doesn't, and again, it is kind of easy to root for him despite uh, the murder of Riyadh is because he's, he was backed into a corner. Like we give him that excuse. Like he had no choice. It was either his life or um, Rayev's uh, life. Yeah. So, but there are more troubling murders down the road, right? There are. <laughs> yeah. Well, how many more? There's, there's uh, um, no other murder except for so the very end. The one on the streets of Paris, right? Yeah, that's that's it, right? The the, the bodyguards. Uh huh. Well, okay. So let's talk about this. This is the the Ikra chapter. Um, obviously, well, we're Muslim, so we kind of have some context here. I don't know how a non-Muslim would have uh, read this, read into this chapter, um, but obviously, the title of the movie is called "A Prophet." This is when we see Malik go from being, you know, at the service of the of Caesar and the Corsican mob, or at the service of the of the drug trade or whatever, to being like his own man. Uh, so it that chapter Ikra starts uh with with the hallucination that he's having with Rayab in the prison cell and basically um he, he Rayab recites like that verse uh from the Quran mm-hmm. and then he goes in the next day or goes out I should say of prison next day he's on he gets like the daily leaves right so he he goes out and he kills the he kills the bodyguards but not the actual target because he wants, the, he basically wants the two fa- factions to war against each other, right? Cesar and his mob, and then his name was Jackie something. Yeah, let, let's let's back this up a little bit. So, you know, essentially when he does that deal with um, with Brahim, right? Um, yeah. He, there's there's discussion that there is a a snitch within the Corsican mob that is working with the Italians, right? And he says, you know, you gotta essentially you gotta deal with that, right? Um, uh, and you know, although you know Malik doesn't even seem, you know, that that interested in in carrying out whatever whatever Cesar initially had in mind, but uh, when he goes back, Cesar is 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 uh you know certainly questioning about you know who is the snitch, who is the snitch. We need to find out who that is, um, and he's questioning his people, and he's telling his boss Markaji, right, Jackie Markaji. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's telling yeah. him that you know we need to deal with this problem one way or another. Now Markaji's not really budging 
um, he's just he's he's not that concerned, and that's causing some some friction there. So eventually, Cesar sends um, Malik out and says, "You're gonna kill my boss, Markaji." Right? Um, at this point, Malik is more of a individualized person, right? He's just, he's, he's formed some sort of identity. So he just, he doesn't just do what he was told, like he did throughout the movie. And, you know, there's, there's kind of good parallels where people keep asking him, why are you, what are you doing? Why are you working for them? What do you do for them? And he just says, you know, I just do what I'm told, you know, they tell me to do it and I do it. Like he says that multiple times. He says, I'm working for myself. (laughs) Yeah. So he kind of draws a distinction there, right? Like he, he always points out that no, like I, I, they don't own me. I'm, I'm working for me. I do what they tell me to, but that's that's for my benefit because I'm I'm self-employed, right? That's kind of the way that he puts it. Um, so yeah, in this moment, he kind of decides to veer off of Cesar's plan, and instead of killing Markaji, he basically kills his bodyguards, kidnaps him, and then tells him that Cesar sent me, but I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to leave the next move up to you. Um, and 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 it does exactly what he wanted it to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when when we the next scenes we see in prison, it's just a bloodbath of you know a, 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 assuming that uh, Markaji basically believed Malik and then went ahead and ordered hits on all of the remaining you know men that Cesar had in prison. It basically dwindles Cesar's power to nothing in prison. And who's who's the new leader or the godfather of prison now? Is is Malik? Yeah, more or less. And now he's kind of he's joined with the the Arab, the Muslim faction, right? And he's kind of um, entrenched with them. Um, mm-hmm. But but now Cesar can't touch him. And one thing I really liked about that sequence is, you know, Fahad, you mentioned going back to the beginning, Malik thinks that if I just get myself put in solitary, nobody can you know bother me, and they can't make me murder Rayab, right? Yeah. But Cesar has too much power. He he has the guards under his thumb and they don't send him to solitary to make sure that he's he's there and they have access to him. At the end of the movie uh, or towards the end, right? When this whole thing happens with the, you know, the hit on Markaji that goes off the rails, instead of going back to prison, he waits a day so that he's late and he does it so that he knows that he's going to be sent to solitary for over a month, which means that all of that time that there's going to be that conflict between the groups, all those murders that happen, he's neatly tucked away where nobody can touch him, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's kind of the turning point where you see that, like, Cesar no, no longer has the power that he did earlier on. Um, and, and, and Malik knows it and takes advantage of it. And what a, the other brilliant thing is that Cesar isn't able to interrogate Malik at that when, if he's in solitary, right? When Malik finally gets out and Cesar sees him in the, uh, the uh, prison yard. Courtyard. Yeah. yeah, there's. Uh, he doesn't seem to understand that Malik was the one who betrayed him, um, and then that there's a great scene where he has this look of betrayal and everything. But yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of wanted to ask. So this whole talk about there's a snitch among the Corsicans. Um, I mean, who who is the snitch, or was there one? What was the deal with that in the end? I'm not sure if it mattered, right? I'm, if there was one, they probably got him with everyone dying in prison. Or was it right? And it was kind of a yeah. So, assuming that <laughs> yeah, there, there there was just there was such a there was such a large turnover in in the um in the employment right. So it, it whoever it was, they they were naturally mm-hmm. dealt with, and it's it's kind of um, immaterial who it is. Um, I guess that yeah, that's 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 one explanation. But I wasn't sure if I was like missing it, and it was there. Do you think Cesar suspected his boss of being the one working with the Italians? 
and that's why he's he ordered that hit. Yeah, I think so. And I think I think that that's kind of the the thing that was popping in my head because sure. Markaji seems so hesitant to deal with it and he keeps putting Cesar off. Yeah. And so that's kind of a that's kind of a tell that either Markaji is the snitch or he knows who it is and it's, you know, yeah. He, yeah. It, it, it's it's under his control. So, so there's do you remember that scene with his lawyer, Cesar and his lawyer? Uh, which one? Which one? Um, yeah, a few of them. <laughs> so when uh, the lawyer's telling him that his bosses won't make a move to flesh out the snitch, that they don't care. Yep, that and that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking of because he so yep. I was getting so aggravated in that moment, and he says something like, "I don't care what he wants; he needs to deal with it now." And you know, basically, Markaji obviously was not budging. So that's kind of that's very suspicious, right? Yeah, and then he, there's that moment where he's uh, the lawyer transitions into good news, and Cesar picks up on it. It's like he's everything you've been telling me has been bad news. So he instantly suspects him because he's a very smart dude, right? So he knows that there's something up there. Well, is that lawyer, is is he also the lawyer for Makaji or is he just like a middleman, like messenger? I, I guess I assumed messenger. Yeah, I think he's I doing really a little bit of everything. I, I assumed he was like the the mob, uh, the you know, the attorney the for the mob. So, you know, he doesn't really have loyalty specifically to any of the specific members, um, except whoever's at the top of the chain, which would be Markaji. Should we get back into uh, the sloppy assassination? Like, what's the purpose of that? Such a gritty and gruesome scene. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I thought the value of that was it was so visceral, right? It's like a gut punch to the viewers where we're supposed to be left shell-shocked almost. And it, mm-hmm. we're supposed to take on this perspective of Malik, right? And it's it's something that we can't escape. It's something he can't escape. And so it kind of forces us to to relate more to Malik. I think so. Right? Forces us to relate to him? I think it's it's more like an introduction into the world that Malik is in now. That's how okay. I like read it. Like He is in a world where... Like death is around the cor- around the corner, and he needs to like have his guard up all the time, and like this is the kind of things he's gonna have to deal with, like for the next six years, if he wants to survive. Yeah, but I think part of it was also the fact that like you know how how corny would it have been if he just pulled off the the perfect you know assassination right there, right? He does it so <laughs> sloppily because he just. He, he he doesn't know who he is, right? And he doesn't and he certainly doesn't think he's capable of this. And so he barely is. He gets away with it. Why? Because Cesar cleared out the entire wing of the prison um to make sure that he had the privacy to do it. Rayab is screaming at the top of his lungs. There's blood everywhere. It gets all over his shirt. He has to run back to his cell to clean it up. Like, you know, it's it's a straight yeah. mess. Um he doesn't do anything right. Um, but you know, that that's <laughs> it's like it's it that's kind of his rebirth, right? So he just kind of nothing Nothing goes according to plan, and it's very messy, right? That's kind of the way I saw it. Yeah. Ooh, rebirth. (laughs) There was a lot of blood. (laughs) A lot of blood. And then even Um, as he's laying there dying, he's like flopping on the ground. Dude, and the noises. Like, they don't have, like, they don't, like, uh, they don't hold back. Censor anything. Yeah. Yeah, they don't hold back at all. Yeah, like, that was like a very realistic, raw depiction of, you know, somebody basically. Usually, like, that kind of violence is not depicted on screen. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I mean, we just did No Country from Old Men, right? I think that was another movie that, that kind of did it similarly. In fact, they, they shied away from showing you some of it, but in terms of kind of the rawness of it, that was that was very similar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that 
is very intentional kind of to 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 make you stop and you know think whoa like you know they're not glorifying it as much as they are just showing you the way it is so when i talked about how the director very deliberately chose when to show something and when not to show something so clearly this murder of rayab was something he wanted us to see despite like how graphic it was but Another, the other use of his camera work was, you know, keeping things off screen to build anticipation. And one example of that, like we talked about when Malik was going up to kill the bodyguards um, in the armored SUV. When he gets out of the van, so one of the bodyguards gets out to like buy cigarettes or something. And Malik is like, I'm going to go now. And um, Riyadh is like, what are you crazy? But only Malik goes. Riyadh doesn't. Uh, like Riaz is still like sat, he's still back like behind the car, and um, as Malik is walking up to the car, we're only seeing Malik. You know, we're not seeing anything else, and we're seeing just like his body in the frame, but nothing like to the side of him. Like there's cars to the side of him, so you can't really tell where he is in terms of context of where the where the SUV is that he needs to get to. We can't see where the bodyguard is that's buying cigarettes and when they're gonna come back out, and like we only meet you know, the bodyguard when uh, when Malik himself meets him. And to that that build to that anticipation and then that payoff was was incredible. Mm-hmm. And then even the use of slow motion in the car, I thought was great. Yeah, he's like, laying there in, the, the, in slow- the bottom of the car, right? And the camera's just looking at him and he's smiling as bullets are whizzing by. Yeah, man, it was, that was like, that was just some great, great camera work, great direction, amazing aesthetics, amazing visuals. And also kind of wrapping up that scene, you know, he's he's basically dragging Markaji back to their van, right? And Riyadh is screaming at the top of his lungs to him. But oh, as, yeah. as the as the as the viewer, you can't hear a damn thing he's saying. It's because it's because Malik can't, right? He's literally like, dude, like I just had a million bullets whizzing past my ears. I can't hear anything. So he's just yeah, screaming. I, back really like, like that they I don't know what you're saying. Do I don't know. Yeah, they kept it very realistic. And so, movies I mean, never do that, right? <laughs> Guns are freaking loud. <laughs> and yeah, that was awesome. I I do want to ask. I mean, and th- so in that moment, basically. He just picks a spot. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm getting out of the car and I'm going. And it ends up being timed perfectly where just as the bodyguard is coming back and opens the door to the SUV, that's right when Mullick is passing by um, the SUV. So he, he he jumps in there and he's able to, to shoot them. Otherwise, none of that gets, you know, none, none of that succeeds because he needed to have that door opened for him. That was the only way it was going to happen. Um, yeah. So... That, to me, that wasn't pure coincidence, right? I mean, that was the the last of several cues that he he has some sort of prophetic abilities, right? And they don't really hide this. It's not like I'm pulling this out. And, right? It's the name of the movie. Um, they they mention uh, you know prophetic verses just a little bit before then, uh, and then mm-hmm. there's actually some literal scenes where he's 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 predicting the future that we get to see. So, I mean, th- that's not something, something that's hidden. So, right? Th- so in that moment, he the fact that he picked the just the perfect moment, that's kind of his innate sense because he's he's some sort of prophet, right? Yeah, so, like, it's <laughs> weird, right? He has this innate sense of where to be and what time to be, right? Perfect time and yeah. perfect place, but that's kind of like how he got into prison, too, so it was almost necessary for him to... I don't know. I don't know. The exact circumstances of how he ended up in prison aren't clear, but um, for him, obviously, it was unfortunate, right? And he couldn't see why. I don't know. I don't know what point I'm trying to draw. It's like you don't see what's ahead in your life, but it's almost necessary, and you have to go through those uh, trials or whatever. 
maybe but so i mean part of it is that <laughs> part of the contradiction there though is that uh he does see what's ahead he's a prophet and he literally sees what's ahead in several scenes we know we know when it's a dream sequence yeah. right yeah. where uh the camera work is like that it's like it's not really slow it's like stop motion almost right and yeah he has yeah. that one vision of like deer in a dream we assume it's a dream because a previous dream mm -hmm. Use that same stop motion type visual. Right. Um, so yeah, he sees a bunch, bunch of deers. He sees like the deer sign, whatever, on the road. And then when he's with Brahim, right, in the south of France, he he sees like he has a gun pointed at him because Brahim is like interrogating him, saying like, "I had a friend Rayab in prison. Do you know what happened to him?" And he sees the deer sign. And he says, "There's an animal coming." And what do you know? A deer comes in, like crashes into the car. And like, and Brahim forgives him. And that that's when he that's when Brahim's like, like, what are you? Are you a prophet? Like, you know, that's that's where like the title comes in, right? So that whole um, thing where he's like, are you a prophet? That felt kind of unimaginative to me. It's, I don't think they should. Same. Yeah. Okay. And and this is this is what I wanted to bring up because I I agree a hundred percent. And there's a couple other there's there's a scene earlier where he's just kind of looking out into into the yard um, from his prison cell and he's calling out what each prisoner in the yard is about to do. And I think it's actually, uh, it's actually Rayab, Rayab's yeah, ghost Rayab. over his so shoulder who's calling it out. But, yeah. uh, you know, that's obviously in Malik's head, right? So he he's just kind of, he's predicting every move, right? So there's a couple, there's only a couple moments there in terms of the, you know, the prophecy. And I didn't get why they were necessary and i don't want to just say like man that they should just cut that out because it's also kind of the title so like tell me <laughs> what that that is supposed to mean they only have a couple moments like that right we've listed three uh -huh. if we include if we include the um the the attack on on markaji's car where he times it perfectly that's kind of three prophetic moments what what's going on what are we supposed to take away from that so i think he is He's like an astute observer, right? That's the kind of person he is. He's quiet, he's shy, but he's constantly um, aware of what's, what's happening. And um, so maybe this is a little high level. The whole thing about the last chapter being called Ikra was kind of weird to me. But, right, what is what is that in, in the Islamic theology? It's, it's the start of the prophethood of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, right? It's when he goes from being an ordinary person to being a prophet this is kind of like when malik goes from being an ordinary person to or not an ordinary person but like a person with no identity to someone who has now found himself now those prophetic scenes i just i just chalk them up to being you know would you like to explain them away and just say like he's in his head because like literally he pre he predicts that he predicts that the guy is about to dunk the ball, which like is not yeah. is not a leap, no, right? No, that's not exactly the prison. Like when he's watching over the prison yard and they're they're playing a game of basketball. He, I mean, he's seen them do this a million times. He knows mm -hmm. that dude with the ball is gonna dunks the ball. He knows that guy who's jogging does push-ups. He's seen them do it before. Like that's not anything special in terms of the uh, his his intuition to leave the car and see like, this is my chance to go and uh, kill those bodyguards and get in the car. I mean, again, it's just, in my opinion, it's just an intuition, intuition thing and him timing it properly. I mean, we couldn't see the bodyguard coming out of the store, but he could, he was walking towards the car and he could probably easily see where the bodyguard would come from. And why would the bodyguard think anything of 
this random dude walking down the street. I suppose, so I mean, probably... even if you don't even go that far to explain, like, how he timed it perfectly, like, he just, he he was going to make something happen, right? And so he just kind of his, you know... He was determined to do yeah, something. Yeah, his determination yeah. kind of kind of gets it done. Maybe there's obviously the an element of luck is there. like that deer one. Exactly. Is, yeah. That's the one I can't, I can't explain away because not only does... Not only does it end up being true, but then, you know, Brahim calls it out afterwards and it's it's kind of the reason that he gets in with Brahim, right? I, I think like, okay, let's say we cut out all those moments, right? Like, and, you know, it's I mean, essentially, they're all just coincidence or whatever. There's no kind of prophecy going on. That one moment with the deer, if they just removed that and just had him tell Brahim to his face that I'm, and he he does say, he's like, I'm the one that did Rayab, right? He tells yeah. him that, but he tells him after the whole deer incident, uh, like almost that alone would have been enough basis to kind of, you know, to, to kind of get that relationship rolling. Um, I, I don't know. I, th- I thought, I thought we could have just done without the whole prophecy aspect, but I do like kind of the spin you put on it where it's kind of somebody learning their identity. Um, I, I think I can appreciate that. The the dream sequence too, maybe like do we have to accept that it's a real dream that he's having or is it just something we're seeing as an audience? Like mm-hmm. I think he has to be having it. I mean why else yeah, would we why else would that's we, what see we would it generally right? think? Yeah, no, I agree. Especially because again, they use that same visual for a which is which is a previous dream when he's fighting with uh with Rayab in his like first hallucination of Rayab. Right, yeah, that's very early on, right? We we see that. Yeah, that, yeah I don't know what. It's basically all the shapes are kind of flowing into one another, right? You called it stop motion, yeah. but it, it's something like there's the animation is yeah, very. Yeah, it's flowy, like a strobe light and, going um, off, right? Yeah. So. So you only see like like uh, flashes of the scene because it's going on and off. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure there's like a name for that type of animation because it's very common and everyone would know it when they see it. But like I, I don't I don't have a word for it. Um, but in any case, yeah, those are those are probably the dream moments. I don't know that I loved that choice. I mean, it, it felt very choppy to me. I think it it felt so so different and so out of place. Um, but I mean, on the other hand, uh, it was effective because you know it tells you what mind space that is going on in right that it's that it's not real and it's not a hallucination but it's it's something else it's him when he's yeah subconsciously or when he's like asleep he's just kind of that's what he's seeing and and he he's he's not able to interpret it but obviously when the moment comes it clicks for him right yeah Fahad, i was gonna say i know you said you didn't feel like anything was dragged out the 15 or 20 minutes that i thought were kind of dragged out is when when uh, malik has started building that enterprise and they're kind of showing you know his rise in prison in in more like in a in a what is what is it called in a sequence of like montage scenes, right? right it's not really yeah a montage there you go like that was just i don't think you needed to do that it kind of didn't fit with the rest of the yeah. movie in terms of like pace and tone either yeah, so it was like a, those were like 10 minutes maybe you could have given back i don't know i don't know I, yeah I, I, I think it injected some energy into it well if if it Without it, maybe it would have gone dull. I don't know. Maybe. maybe. I don't know if I would have thought it was dull, but I can see people people feeling like that. I mean, I, I thought they were using those montages to kind of, yeah, get the energy rolling again. I mean, yeah. to me, that's a little bit, it's a little bit less organic because like, for example, when, when the Nas song hits, I actually loved that sequence, but <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it was really energetic, but it's because of the song. So, you know, they're, they're kind of 
they're they're feeding you the tempo there um and that that whole sequence seemed a little bit like a like a rap video i don't know if you guys noticed but like there's that <laughs> oh, shot of sure, like all sure. the all the all the cooks um in the kitchen just kind of staring at the camera like breaking straight through the f- fourth wall and just looking at you um that's like it is it's it's a very similar shot to like what you see in like rap videos and stuff um and there, so there's like little moments like that where they they just like they dove into a particular style mm-hmm. um like they made very stylistic choices for a short sequence um and then and then and then moved on from it um so i think that's kind of where i felt like some of the cinematography was a little bit inconsistent sure no i i agree with you yeah. And I'm piling this on along with kind of the animation and the different, they'd use a, a few different things in terms of kind of the, the type of, uh, I, I don't know what to call it. Basically like the, the spot, the spotlight, like shots. The tunnel I vision. Mean, yeah. The, yeah. 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 The, the director was pretty creative in terms of uh, using a diverse range of like visuals to, to present, present uh, the movie. It, it wasn't, and like, yeah, I agree. Some of it kind of may have felt out of place, especially doing like the montages specifically that's the only time i thought it was it took me out of the movie otherwise i really appreciated all the choices he made guys remind me when the ikra scene comes up um it's right it's the night before he um the night before he goes to kill the bodyguards and okay you know so what i remember about that right the chapter preceding it it's about riyadh him telling malik that he's going to die that he needs to be the caretaker of his family and then I remember yep. the music choice was like kind of somber and it's, it's, it, it kind of wraps up by the time that Icarus scene happens. Is it, is it like that folk song that Yusuf mentioned? I think that's what the it folk was. Song? Yeah, I think, I think so. It was an English language song, which was also kind of weird to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the point I was trying to get through to was, I don't know, I guess the Ikra thing was like, finished off that chapter for me where it's like Malik's questioning what am I doing in prison like what goal am I trying to achieve so I think his priorities shifted there when his friend Mm. told him he's gonna die he needs to be responsible for them right like he has a purpose now right and that's kind of consistent with like the the weight of prophecy right the responsibility of that you know of that change so what I mean, so obviously we keep saying it's a coming of age story, right? So obviously there is a little bit of that going on here. But what I thought they did really effectively um, was was show uh, a coming of age for for someone who really doesn't have an identity, right? And I don't mean the awkward, quiet nerd who you know is trying to figure out his passion <laughs> in life. I mean this is a guy who needs to survive by aligning himself with with someone, anything, anyone, right? And is unable to do so. And kind of, he develops this, you know, what in modern day and age we call code switching, right? Um, his life is kind of code switching. He's just, he he has to learn how to align himself with the Corsicans. He has to learn how to align himself with the Arabs and what buttons to push in which situations. And and he learns, although they're, they're kind of still... Um, they don't fully accept him because because they can see what he's doing, right? But but his life is kind of is kind of like that. He has to learn how to be in all these different situations in order to survive. And 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 so he he doesn't have an identity because of that because it's just it's controlled by situationally. Um, and, and eventually he's able to find his identity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like we're talking about towards the end, he 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 has responsibility and he's able to make his own choices. Um, and that's kind of his coming of age. That's what I that's kind of what I saw from from this. And, you know, even the outcome is kind of it's one last kind of 
switch in his mentality. He has to turn one more switch and turn into a different person again. Um, but he's able to kind of find purpose in that. So I thought that was kind of a different take on, you know, what you'd normally see in terms of in terms of coming of age. Also, in terms of in terms of prison, I think maybe the idea of adapting to that environment is, is always there. But I thought this was a little bit more unique than that. Yeah, I think you hit all the points uh, right on the head because the self-identity crisis is is the self-identity and innocence mm-hmm. and losing of that innocence and finding that identity is exactly what like coming of age is about. Mm-hmm. So um, the only other theme that was kind of uh, a, a little different was guilt. And we kind of touched on it with, you know, the murder of Rayab. He he definitely has guilt, uh, like he feels guilty for having done that, despite like him not really having much of a choice in doing so. Um, and I think that's presented very well with the hallucinations that he has. And initially, maybe he's haunted by the visions, um, but later on, like Fahad said, he he's almost confiding in confiding in him. Yeah. And, and we kind of see how his his um, his relationship with that guilt kind of evolves over time, right? So at the beginning, we get like you know this. You know, that birthday scene was really, truly haunting in terms of just the the level of guilt and the level of darkness that that he was feeling. Right. Uh, But then as that relationship goes on, I mean, Rayab is constantly hanging around and just, you know, haunting him. And he it begins to turn into something of a companion. Right. He confides in him. And like it's as if they're sharing um, you know, they're, they're sharing stories and they're sharing about one another. Of course, this is probably all going on in in uh, Malik's head. So all the stuff that we're getting from Raya may not be true at all. Right. But, but he's kind of got that relationship with it. Um, and then it evolves to the point where at the end, when he he's in solitary confinement, um, Rayab's not there and he yeah. kind of falls asleep peacefully um, when he's not being haunted by Rayab, but he keeps waking up and he's like, is it you? Are you there? Are you there? And then he goes back to sleep and it's almost, it's, it's almost like he's missing him at that point. Right. Because that was the one companion he had for so long. Um, but now he's kind of, I don't know, I guess, I guess he's also grown past that guilt at that point. Um, maybe because of the gravity of all the other things that he's done where like, that's no longer the big thing weighing on his conscience. I'm not sure if maybe that's what they're, they're trying to convey or just the fact that now that he has an identity, he's no longer kind of, um, at the whims of the things that happened to him. I like that reading. Yeah. So I, I took that, those visions also to be somewhat where that's where Malik is having a time for self-reflection and, um, Again, once you are more comfortable in your identity and you know, you know who you are at at a at this point, he doesn't need that anymore. So that's just another reason why Raya no longer shows up. Yeah. Um, do you guys want to get into Luciani and what was going on with him with his decline? Right. He sees most of his gang leave prison, and he's the lone person left behind. In that scene where he realizes he's not getting out, he's like. He's sitting on his bed. He's like all sad and depressed and he's kind of more reflective, right? Yeah, you kind of see a change in his mood. He kind of senses that his time is more or less up. And I think that's kind of feeds into his his power move to want to kill his boss. Um, because he doesn't have, I mean, obviously any, any villain like this, any uh, person who's a who's running a mob is is you know addicted to power and control and he kind of sees that slip away uh especially and it it just accelerates when Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it already has slipped away that he's in prison mm-hmm. in in some sense, but then even within prison, he he sees it go away when all of his uh, confidants get released or get transferred to another prison. And um, I think most of them get released because they come back to visit him, especially on Christmas. So I I thought it was a a good character. He was <laughs> he was a good villain. Um, I mean, he's clearly the antagonist here, but. Uh, there's something about like really old people playing like these really evil strong strong man type uh villains and it's just like dude just just push him over he's <laughs> he's old and frail <laughs> like it doesn't i i don't buy into it it's just like, knock him over he, he can't beat you up dude his punch is not gonna hurt you yeah. well, no just, just punch i would back. say i would say two things to that um one just the fact that you know luciani is is fairly generic uh as far as villains go right you know like he we don't get much background but you kind of you don't need the background for him right you know what he is you know he's like kind of a mob boss and that's all you really need to know about him um but yeah there is kind of that element of like why is anybody afraid of him and i think the answer is in the juxtaposition with Moek, um, who is very much reliant on himself and keeps reminding himself that he's working for himself, uh, whereas Luciani is only a product of the the people around him, the people he has at his at his disposal, right? So there's his crew, but then there's also the the guards that are you know compliant with his demands. Um, there there's people that he can manipulate on the outside, Malik being one of them, right? And the way that he owns him, but when he know when when that all slowly starts to slip away, when he loses his crew, when he loses control of the guards, he realizes he's really nothing, right? So there's like a really good juxtaposition between those two, actually, when you think about it. Yeah. Do you think he's motivated at all by his legacy within the prison or is he just or is he mostly acting on like, you know, selfish reasons like power and control? I don't know. I mean, the latter. You think the latter? I don't think he cares about his. Yeah. Um, his legacy in prison. I, I think he would have much rather have been released or, or uh, transferred to another prison with the other guys. He values, uh, you know, his tradition quite a bit, clearly. Um Right, they're kind of political prisoners. They're they're nationalists, is what it came off as. Yeah, I to think me. so. Uh, maybe they're separatists. You know. Um, yeah, I mean they're 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 Corsican prisoners and not in Corsica, which is you know why yeah. they're treated so poorly. Um, I think I'd agree with you, right? Because he he really wants out. He's very upset when he finds out that everyone else is getting a transfer and he's not. So I mean, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't really have some you know romantic view of his time in prison. Um, but also, I yeah. you know we don't really get so much context on him uh, it's it's a like i said he's a little bit generic and it's a little bit weak in terms of his character um he just he he is what you would expect him to be so it's kind of hard to answer a question like that when when you don't have much to work with true true but malik kind of cares right of what happens to the muslims once he's gone because even though his time's almost over in prison he uh he executes that plan to dethrone cesar yeah, I think uh, in terms of his identity through Riyadh, he kind of, uh, at least for his remaining term that he has left in prison, he decides that he's going to be part of that Arab faction and um, like work within work work within that means to survive the rest of his, his days in prison. I don't have much else to say. Yeah, same. I think I'm good. All right, so we will leave it at that. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another preview and discussion. Peace.
Thanks for listening to this production of the Twice Over. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with a friend. Want to see what your tally is? Check out the twiceover.com. All the movies we've done are listed there, as well as what we're watching for the current week. Follow us at the Twice Over on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you can leave us any suggestions, feedback, or comments. And if you're about it, you can also support us on Patreon. The music you hear on this podcast is from Amerigo Gazaway. You can find his work on Bandcamp and Spotify. 